Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mike. Yes. Is the kidney named after the bean... Or is the bean named after the kidney? (laughs) That's a good question. I don't know. What is it? Welcome everybody to Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's medical podcast. Today we are going to discuss the kidney or the renal system. Predominantly we're going to focus on renal anatomy, renal physiology. Now, before we begin, I want to talk about some housekeeping. And this housekeeping is basically just advertising a little bit more about us. Did you know that Matthew and I are academics? We work at a university in Australia where we teach anatomy and physiology. We also teach pathophysiology and pharmacology. And we obviously love talking about this stuff. We also do some medical research as well. And I think it's important that we do a couple of YouTube videos. So we actually have a YouTube channel that's available, which is under the name Biological Sciences, very original. But In this YouTube channel, we actually focus on a number of videos that look up. We have playlists that focus on cardiovascular system, renal system, uh, musculoskeletal system. We go through all these systems, and you should be able to access all these YouTube videos, and it will help you with your study or just for general knowledge. Again, access that, YouTube Biological Sciences. We also have an Instagram page and a Twitter page, so if you want to follow us, and ask questions. And ask some questions, we absolutely. Love, we love hearing questions. You can follow us both on Instagram and Twitter, where our handle is at GU Biosciences. All lowercase, all one word, at GU Biosciences. Maddie, shall we get started with renal anatomy and physiology? And ask us questions. Oh, like, yeah. why is the kidney called the kidney? Is it named after the bean or is the bean named after the kidney? <laughs> See, these are the big, deep questions that we ask ourselves. We ask our students. Matt, where do you want to begin, matey? All right. So, this is the first uh, session or the first podcast on a number of them in the urinary system. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, we're going to... So, this one's obviously renal anatomy physiology. Then I think the next one, we're going to look at the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. So, this is basically how the kidneys regulate blood pressure. And we're also going to do one on the nephron, which is the functional unit of the kidneys, the thing that does all the filtering for us. And we're going to focus on the nephron because it's a pretty amazing structure. Yeah, so I I don't think we'll go into too much depth today on the microanatomy, but we'll focus more on the gross or the macroscopic anatomy. What do you think? Yes, we will, Matthew. Okay. So, if I was to ask you, Mike, what would be the general functions of why we have 
kidneys. Okay. Plural. Yeah. Generally, general plural. Okay. Well, we have two kidneys. Yeah. General function. I would say we could probably break those functions up into three major functions. So the kidneys, number one, they filter. Now, what do they filter? Well, they allow us to be able to excrete metabolic products, toxins, and drugs. Mm. Right? So these products, for example, include... So these metabolic products include urea and creatinine. Okay. Yeah, some toxins, which we may potentially ingest or begin to accumulate, such as ammonia, and drugs, which we may have ingested. And these drugs will only be... If we are excreting them via our kidneys, they can only be water-soluble drugs. If they are fat-soluble, we don't pee them out. We just continually reabsorb them throughout the system. Okay. So that's one function, filtration. You okay with that? Yeah. Okay. Number two, the kidneys play a role in homeostatic regulation or homeostatic balance. So homeostasis, keeping things in a nice, happy, healthy range. The kidneys do this for our body fluids, so water balance. Electrolyte balance... So electrolytes are those charged atoms or elements, sodium, ion, potassium ion, chloride ion, magnesium ion, hydrogen ion, bicarbonate ion, blah, 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 blah. It also plays a role in acid-base balance, so it regulates how acidic our blood is, or basic, and can regulate our blood pressure. So that's the homeostatic role. Okay with that one? Mm. Okay, you're keen. Number three, <laughs> kidneys play a role in hormonal control. So it helps us control something called erythrogenesis, which is the beginning of new red blood cells. This is through the release of a hormone called EPO. What's EPO stand for? Urethropoietin. Erythropoietin. Not urethro. Urethro. What did I say? You said urethro. What is it? Erythro. You know oh. you know how ereth means red? Erythropoietin. Poietin. 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 The creation of new red blood cells, EPO. Is it only red blood cells? Or was it stimulating the stem cell in the bone marrow full stop? Well, yes, but probably focuses on red blood cells, hence erythropoiesis. Mm. So erythrogenesis, beginning of new red blood cells. I wonder how it would know, though. We've got a very smart system. <laughs> and calcium metabolism. So this is calcitriol, vitamin D. Helps us absorb vitamin D, keeps our bones nice and strong. And also, again, blood pressure. So I put blood pressure in two categories. This is through the release of a hormone called renin. All right, let's, that's, that's the, fun, they're the general functions. Should we start talking about, should we focus on where the kidneys are, what they look like and so forth, and then we can maybe focus on some of these functions? Yes, I think so. Um, <laughs> firstly, why, like comparing us to other animals like I like to do. Yeah. Uh, my research has found... Well, first of all, kidney itself, it's pretty difficult to find the etymology of the word. Yeah. Um, hence why I asked the question. <laughs> Is it the bean or what came first, yeah. the bean or the kidney? Whereas, I mean, if you compare it to Latin or the Greek word, they generally use either nephron yeah. or ad- or a renal. So, oh. so renal, adrenal, adrenaline. Yeah. So you heard these words, yeah. And nephron, nephros, and epinephros, epinephrine. Yeah. So you heard these words as well. Yeah. Whereas kidney, I think it's more of an English derivative or old English word, but uh, it's pretty vague. Yeah. Anyway, so in the animals, uh, most vertebrates will need a kidney or a kidney-like structure to do two general functions and that's to excrete generally waste products or to maintain their water electrolyte balance, so the osmoregulation. And that's generally looking through all animals up to the mammals, their reasons why they have these two structures or maybe have more than two. Or less? Yeah. Yeah. So when we look at, let's start with excretion in terms of getting rid of metabolic wastes. Yeah. So... The big nutrients that you absorb to keep you going would be carbohydrates, fats, proteins. Yeah. Now, two of those can be broken down pretty quickly and got rid of. Yeah. Like fats and carbohydrates. But proteins are more challenging. Why is that? I don't know. Why? Well, they're made up of the of the building blocks, amino acids. So, there's 20 types of amino acids. Yeah. But I think, going back to my pie chemistry days... Their uniqueness is they have an amino end 
which has got a nitrogen there and yeah. some hydrogen. That's right. And when they're broken down to make energy, they produce ammonia. They do produce ammonia, yeah. And we know that ammonia is something that we clean our bathrooms with. Yeah, it doesn't smell very good. floors. Yeah. And so... NH3 is the chemical structure. NH3. So that would be presumably toxic. Yeah, if it accumulates, ammonia can uh, can hurt us, that's for sure. And we, every time we take proteins uh, and we break them down into amino acids, if we're not going to be using those amino acids to build other proteins, then we need to get rid of them. And mm. so... When we take these amino acids and catabolize them, break them down, like you said, we produce ammonia. And if we let that ammonia accumulate, it's pretty toxic for us. So we need to find a way to get rid of the ammonia. So how do we do it? Are you talking about us as humans? Yeah, let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about us as humans and then maybe we can see how other animals get rid of this ammonia. Well, as far as I'm, I'm aware of, mm-hmm. we convert it through the urea cycle in yep. the liver. That's right. And make it into a substance called urea. Yep. In actual fact, we take two ammonia with some carbon dioxide, add a little bit of energy, ATP, and we've got urea. Okay. So this is a way, it sort of buffers out that ammonia, gets, gets rid of that toxic ammonia, puts it in a form which the body can sort of handle a little bit better. But it costs energy to do so. So it's tell, you know, our body really wants to do things that are energy you know, cost saving, mm. you know, energy saving. So to take ammonia and turn it into urea just so we can get rid of it costs energy, which tells us that ammonia is pretty bad for our body if we're willing to use energy on getting rid of it. Okay. Let's just pause there for one second. Yeah. We'll come back to this exact point. Okay. Uh-huh. But before, I, I just think we should give the listeners um, the anatomy of where our, as in human kidneys are, Oh, okay. So, we generally have two. Yeah. They're located in the abdominal cavity, but they're very deep. So, they're very deep laying structures. So, they're not like your intestines. They're not like your liver. They're not like your stomach. They're way at the back wall. Okay. So, we spoke last week about the gastrointestinal tract and where all those organs sit. So, they sit behind. So, if you were to cut right down the front of you and opened up your uh, anterior or your front abdominal wall where your front muscles are, the first kind of things that you would see would be your intestines and stomach and liver and so forth. If you were to remove all those out, then you'd come to the back wall of the abdomen. And then there would be a kind of a sheath of tissue that we call the peritoneum, the parietal peritoneum. And that is kind of the covering of the whole abdominal contents. You'd still have to pull that away to get to the kidneys. Uh, so the, the GIT viscera is encapsulated by this peritoneum, and then behind that is where we're going to find the mm. kidneys. Yeah. All right. So it's very, it's very deep line structure. So, so you could say it's retroperitoneal. That's right, behind, retro, behind. Yeah. Very good. Like the way you <laughs> Thank live. you. You're back in time. You're a yeah. retro man. Well, look at how I dress. <laughs> I have shoes with flowers on them. So, All right. So, just so you can pick out the landmarks of where they are, uh, they sit behind, or should I say they should sit in front of ribs, surprisingly. In front of ribs? Yeah, in front. So, if you look at the your ribs at the front where you have, you know, where your liver would be sitting mm. or sitting behind and you go all the way back around to where your ribs articulate or kind of somewhat join to your vertebra, mm. you have a couple of ribs. And these are considered the floating ribs. The bottom two? Yeah, 11 and 12. Yeah. In front of them, so towards the front of your body, is they the, the kidneys would be sitting on them. Okay. So your kidneys are at about a level... Right and left, right kidney, left kidney. The uh, right would be on about the 12th rib Mm -hmm. and the left would be on the 11th, 12th. So So you're saying saying the right right kidney is lower than the left? The right kidney is lower than the left. Why? I was going to ask you that question. Okay. Do you want me to answer? Do you want to answer? You want to answer at the same time? Three, two, one. Liver. Liver. Okay. The liver. That big... A big, the largest internal organ of the body, 1.2, 1.6 kilos, sitting above it, pushes it down. Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, the kidneys, two of them 
right's lower than the left. Okay, sitting in front of the ribs. They they sit on a, a bed of muscles. So there's actually a few muscles that they sit on. Yeah. They sit on some hip flexors. So if you were to try to um, bring your knee up to your head, let's say. Yes, which I can do. Okay. Um, that would be called hip flexing. Yeah. Okay. And that would be the muscles. Is it the psoas? The psoas, yeah. Yeah. See, I'm, you say I'm terrible at anatomy, but I just named the psoas. Major and minor. Yeah, okay. <laughs> major. Did, anyway. You so didn't have to do that to You've me. got the major there, and you've also got another muscle called quadratus lumborum. Which yeah, is quad, that's deep. Quadratus is the shape of it, lumborum in the lumbar area. Okay. And you've also got the transverse abdominis. Yeah. And you've also got the diaphragm. So wow. all of those muscles... The kidneys sit on. So, are the kidneys close to the uh, vertebrae then? Yep. So, either side? Lateral to it, so wow. away from it. Okay. Yeah. So, the the doorway, mm. the doorway of the kidney, what's the doorway again? The hilum. The hilum, very yeah. good. So, that's what's either going into it or coming out of it. Yeah. That's facing uh, on the right about L1, lumbar 1, and in the left about lumbar two. So if you look, if you picture in your mind the kidneys as a kidney bean. Sorry, other way around. L one, L two. Good. Remember, the right is going to be lower than left. That's right. Yep. So the 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 curved part, the most internal part of the bean. Yep. Is facing middle. Yep. And so and that's, that's where the hilum is. And so the one on the right is going to be facing L two, and the one on the left is going to be facing L three. One. L one. L one. Okay. So the so basically they go from around about. Uh, T11, T12, all the way down to... L3. L3. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Now, is it... Do you think it's... So, that's highlighting to me... So, a, a, a quick clinical question for you, Michael. All right, go. So, the kidney rests on part of the diaphragm. Yeah. What does the diaphragm do for you? Diaphragm is a sheet of skeletal muscle that when you tell it to contract, it pulls down, increases the volume of the thoracic cavity, decreases the pressure, and we can take a breath in. Okay, mostly right. What do you mean I'll, mostly right? I wouldn't That's say it increases the whole thoracic cavity. I mean, say that. I said it increases thoracic volume. Okay, maybe again, not the whole thoracic. <laughs> maybe the plural. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Diaphragm. Anyway, helps yeah. you breathe. Yeah. That was my whole point. Yes. Okay. You had breathe. To bang on for five minutes about. <laughs> Sorry. You you show off with anatomy. I wanted to show off with physiology. So anyway, the diaphragm would go down when you breathe in. Yeah. So my question: If the kidney sits on it. What would the kidney, would you expect, do when you breathe in? They'd move. They'd, They'd move down. Move. Yeah. Now, do you want your kidney to move? Uh, maybe not too much, I okay. would say. So, how do we keep them? How do we stop them from moving around too much? Okay, so they have they sit on a bed of fat. Like you. <laughs> I've been to your house before. <laughs> uh, I don't know. How Is it <laughs> so, this bed of fat, is it encapsulated by this fat? Surrounded well, the, by the, the kidney, the kidney is encapsulated with its own fascia. Yeah. Um, but it, this this fat sits out outside that as well, like it's is, sort of just placed into it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's it called? Perinephritic fat or perirenal fat. Okay. And yeah. depends <laughs> if you're Greek or Roman, or Greek uh, or Latin. Well, I'm Italian. It's pretty. <laughs> it's it's pretty hard fat too, isn't it? Like nearly as hard as the table. Solid. I've never knocked on it. I've knocked on it. I've knocked You've on knocked it. You've knocked on it? Yeah, I've knocked on it. Okay. How did the, the person feel? Uh, they weren't too comfortable with it. So, it's it's very solid, that fat though, right? Yeah. That's the point I'm trying to make. It's And it, it's there, f- it plays a couple of roles. One, for protection. Because protection from what? Well, the kidneys are very vulnerable because of where they're sitting retroperitoneal at the back at our flank. Mm. They're very, very subject to trauma and damage. Getting punched in the back. Getting punched in the back, right? So, we've got this huge amount of hard perirenal fat that's one number two like you just said we don't want them to move around too much so they play an anchorage role mm. right so they anchor those kidneys let them sit there now that i think it's important for listeners to know that otherwise they become like you like a floater like a float you know just floating through this world having fun enjoying themselves the fat of the kidneys that perirenal perinephritic whatever you want to call it fat is a structural kind of fat quite different to our functional fat that we put around our hips and our ass and so forth right that's the fat that we gluteal gluteal that's the muscle that's the fat that we use for energy and energy storage so this is not for energy no 
not primarily for energy. It is there, like I said, for protection and anchorage. But we can, if we really need that energy, if we've used up our other stores of fat, if we really need that energy, we can start moving towards that and breaking that structural perirenal perinephritic fat down mm. to produce energy. So could that then cause your kidneys to be a floater? Dang right, it can. Dang. So if if so, marathon. There's been accounts of marathon runners who have been using so much energy that they've started to move on to their structural fat and they end up getting something which is called a floating kidney, mm. which is called nephro- nephrotosis, N-E-P-H-R-O-P-T-O-S-I-S. I think that's right. Nephrotosis. And that's a floating, they're floating kidneys. Mm. Moving around. I wonder also if they, because they're running a lot, just jiggling yeah, up and pr- down. Yeah, probably. Jiggling away. All right, so uh, and then then we go to the kidney into the deeper part of the kidney, and it has its own little capsule that wraps it up with the um, the adrenal glands as well. So that's a uh, renal capsule. Yep, that's what's called. Okay. What about and the hilum? Are we going to talk about some things going in and out, some tubes? Yeah. And so so uh, the size of it is oh, yeah. twelve centimeters in height. Yeah, about one hundred and fifty grams. Yep. Each six six centimeters by three centimeters. So twelve six three. 1263, the dimensions. In centimetres. Not very big. Centimetres, I said. (laughs) Centimetres. They're not very big. uh, American terminology, I think it is 432. Is that right? Inches. Is that my American accent? Inches. (laughs) 321. Anyway. All right. Let's stop confusing people. So the kidneys are pretty small. They're 150 grams each. They're, what you say, about 10 centimetres in diameter? So you said? No, I just did height. Height? What was the height? 12 centimetres. 12 centimetres in height. Okay. 150 grams. Pretty small structures, but they actually take 20% of the cardiac output. Yeah. And they, they they come from the bottom and move up. What do you mean? So in development. So From the un- bum? <laughs> in the pelvic, pelvic region. That's where they originate. And they kind of ascend. From, from what? Whilst the gonads go down. So, we have this urogenital system. Yeah. So, we have the kidney system with the ureter. Mm-hmm. And we have the testes or ovaries. And essentially, they develop higher up. And Which they ones? descend down. Oh, or ovaries or testes. Yeah. Um, obviously, ovaries stay a lot higher. The testes just descend out of the body. Yeah. Um, Not sure if yours have yet. <laughs> And um, the kidneys start low and go up. So sometimes they don't actually separate and they can stay joined. And oh. some people have what they call horseshoe kidneys. Wow. So they, that's what they're shaped like. Uh, and they stay in the pelvis? Yeah, they kind of get... I think they get kind of stuck on the way up wow. in the, on the inferior mesenteric artery. I think they get kind of plugged there. Because I but, know... Yeah, go on. But as they're working their way up, they get new blood supplies on the way up. And so it's probably thought that the kidney has kind of little sections to it, but then encapsulate into one organ. But some people will have congenital slight... Not abnormalities, but just differences mm. where they might have two little separate parts and that probably also explains why the blood supply, even though it comes from generally one renal artery, yeah. but it has segmental parts to it. So it has generally five segmental yeah. branches off the renal artery, but sometimes that could be segmented a lot further away. So, so, so our kidneys are quite diverse. Yeah, very. Oh, wow. Yeah. So should we start talking about the... Well, we should... I think it's important to say that our kidneys... When we talk about the efferent tubes that are coming out and away from the kidneys, so mm-hmm. let's let's talk about the fact that the kidneys are connected to the uh, two ureters, which are two tubes. All right, so let's go in and then back out. So we go, oh, okay. we Good go idea. from the aorta, yep. which is the big, big artery of the body, yep. and we shoot out laterally on both sides, uh, a right and a left renal artery. So... So the aorta, which has just come from the left ventricle, yep. has looped its way back down through the diaphragm, yep. down into the abdomen with the abdominal aorta now. Yep. And you're saying there's a branch of the abdominal aorta called the renal artery. Yep. And on there's the, going on to the right be and left. Right and left. So one's going to the right kidney, one's going to the left, and they're the right and left renal artery. Correct. Okay, then what? 
then what and happens? Then it to comes that? into the hilum. Now yep. this is just generally speaking from you know if you're going to do an average of all people, this is how it would most likely look. It would come into the hilum and then segment, so it would break into generally five parts. Okay. And the five parts is just broken into an anterior portion and a posterior portion, and the anterior has first a further four, which is the top. Which is they call an apical, yeah, an upper, a middle, and a lower. So the anterior branch of the artery has four branches, and there's only one posterior. Okay. And then it goes into the, it goes into the main part of the, the kidney itself, and it kind of goes between these th structures that we have lots in uh, Egypt. Ah, pyramid pyramids. Oh, pyramids. That's what I was hoping you were gonna say. Sorry, I was gonna say sand. <laughs> So, yeah, it goes between these pyramids, okay, and they're called, what's that branch? Oh, of the segmental yeah. artery? Yeah. Okay, so wait, let me think about it again. you got the abdominal aorta branching off to the renal artery, which is then branched off to those five or so segmental arteries. These segmental arteries then move through what's called these renal pyramids that look like upside-down pyramids. Mm. It goes between them. And they're called interlobar arteries. Okay. Okay. So as these are branch, as these continue to branch out, like we're talking about, we're going from the little center entry point of the hilum mm. all the way out to the outer exterior of the kidneys. Because mm. you've got two main aspects. You've got the cortex, which is the outer edge of the kidneys, and the medulla, which is the internal part. Yep. So we're still in the medulla here, because in that medulla, we've got eight or so of these upside down renal pyramids, which are dispersed throughout the medulla. You can actually have between about 5 to 18, I think, is the variation. Like you said, quite a variable structure the kidneys are. Sound like Yoda now. Um, and so we've got these interlobar arteries moving between these upside-down renal pyramids. Yep. Okay, then what happens? Once they've moved past these renal pyramids, they're at the base of these pyramids. Yeah. Then they branch again, right? Yeah, into the arcuate artery, which is probably the best way to demarcate the cortex from the medulla. So they kind of run on that junction. Ah, uh, so uh, so you're saying that as the interlobar artery goes between the pyramids, it then takes this 45 degree angle and moves along the base of that pyramid. Pyramids, yeah. And the base of these pyramids is the junction between the cortex and the medulla. Yeah. And if you were to cut the kidney in a frontal plane, yeah. So if you were to cut it into a anterior, posterior, or a front and back section, you would actually see that the medulla is much darker than the cortex. Okay. So these arcuate arteries have just taken this 45-degree turn. Then they branch off again, and, and these, this branch is what moves into the cortex now. Yeah. And this is called the interlobular arteries. Okay. So we've gone from aorta, abdominal aorta, to renal artery, to segmental arteries, to interlobar arteries, to arcuate arteries, to interlobular arteries. Mm. And each time they're getting more numerous and smaller in diameter. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And then we come into the primary little unit of the kidney which is the nephron the nephron and this is where the interlobular arteries branch off into what we call afferent arterioles hmm. afferent. so so the afferent arterioles are now the final stage of branching i think so yeah and so then it enters into the ball of wool which is just the cluster of capillary which is the glomerulus which well, i think which i that's what ball of wool means. yeah it means yeah. ball of yarn so, so uh, just like every other part of the body, we've gone from large arteries down into a smaller arteriole and now into a capillary bed, mm. right? So, that makes sense, but this capillary bed is the site of filtration, right? Yep. And like you said, it's called the glomerulus, which means ball of yarn because these capillaries are bundled up as these tight balls of yarn-looking things. Mm. And each of these balls of yarn, each of these glomeruli, sit within a capsule. And this capsule is one part of a larger structure, which we call the nephron, which is, like you said, the functional subunit of the kidneys. Yep. How many nephrons do we have per kidney? Between 800,000 and a million. Per kidney. Mm. So we have about 2 million per, uh, <laughs> per human. Yeah, and I believe they start dropping off through life. So you... you oh. They slowly die off. But 
we only need around about a million or less to yeah. survive. I so you could do without a kidney and be fine for the rest of your right. life. So I think two thirds, a functional two thirds of one kidney is sufficient. So we call that redundancy. Mm. Good. So we've gone through the glomerulus. So, so we've pushed all the fluid out of the blood. We'll we'll cover this in another podcast because it is quite detailed. And then we come out with another vessel, which is the efferent, and that is still an artery. Okay, wait a minute. You mean arterial? Now, this is where it differs from other parts of the body. Usually, you're going to have an artery, an arteriole, a capillary bed, which we do have here, but then on the other end of the capillary bed, we usually have venules, mm. which turn to veins. Yeah. And that's telling us that something's happening at the capillary bed to turn an arteriole into a venule mm. at tissues, and that thing that happens is usually gas exchange. Because art and you know nutrients are being exchanged and so forth. So, well, the majority of your capillaries in the body will have a degree of pushing pressure where fluid, your fluid part of your blood, can come out of the vessel to bathe the cells, to to take the oxygen out, to take the nutrients out, to take the vitamins out, to take the electrolytes out. But then it will get pulled back in in the venous end. That's right. But you don't want too much fluid to come in. No. Now, when you look at another capillary bed, say in the lungs, no fluid comes out. It's purely just for gas exchange. Just oxygen comes in at the lungs, carbon dioxide comes out. Now, in the kidneys, it's a different type of capillary. It's a high-pressure capillary, so it wants to push heaps of fluid out, as much as it can push out. But no gas exchange? Yes. No gas exchange, because... Otherwise, on the other end of this capillary bed would have a venule. Yeah. But we have an arteriole. So we still have, an, you know, a similar concentration of oxygen and carbon dioxide mm. at the afferent arteriole compared to the efferent on the other side of the capillary bed. Yeah. So its its primary function here at the capillary bed is purely just to get all that fluid of your blood out, which is the plasma, essentially. It's, it's the site of filtration. Yeah. And so I think just... I know you said we're going to focus on this in another podcast when we look at the nephron and glomerular filtration and so forth. But just so people are aware, when, when this blood comes in from the abdominal aorta, mm. right, your heart pushes out five liters of blood a minute. That's called your cardiac output. Of that five liters, 20% goes to the renal artery. Yep. So that's one liter-ish. Mm. Of that one liter, 400 mils of cells, red blood cells, white blood cells, some cell fragments, platelets, so forth. And 600 mils is plasma. Of that 600 mils that's getting to your kidneys of plasma, 20% is getting filtered into this in, through this glomerulus. So we filter from that 600 mils, 20%, which is 120 mils, which means every minute we create 120 mils of filtrate. In our kidneys, every minute. Now that so 120 mils, milliliters per of, minute of potential P, which if you ex- extrapolate that out to the day, that ends up being around about 170 to 180 liters of filtrate per day we create of urine. Of urine, it's a lot of urinating. Now, do you pee out 170 to 180 liters a day, Matthew? <laughs> well. <laughs> don't like to toot your own horn no the answer is no because you'd be peeing right now I hope you're not no. you're, okay you sure that little smirk on the side of your face isn't okay so the question then is if we are filtering 170 to 180 litres a day of this blood how come we don't pee it out and the answer is of all the stuff we filter we throw 99% of it back into the body. Mm. That's going to be the focus of our nephron lecture. How we filter all that stuff and why we throw 99% of it back, which means we only pay out 1% of that 180 litres, which is 1.8 litres. And, and yes. well, I was going to talk about it later, but we're here now, so I'm going to mention it. All right. When we compare ourselves to other animals, okay, we have a kidney most suited with what you just explained now to be like a freshwater fish. So we have a freshwater fish kidney. Yeah. So what that means is, you know, with animals, you generally have two types of um, nephron or two types of kidney. You have a secreting kidney or a filtrating kidney. 
So a kidney that you can just secrete into or you just, um, anything in the blood that you really don't want, you kind of just deposit it out into the urine or you have a filtration kidney. So excrete, not secrete. Well, I think they call it secrete. Okay. That appears logic, but logical, but it's called secreting okay. kidney. Now, in a filtrating kidney, it's basically where you just get everything out, okay, and then if you need to, you can then reabsorb what you need. Wow. And so, if you think about fish in fresh water, they are in themselves hypertonic. What does that mean? Compared to the water, meaning they've got more stuff dissolved, dissolved in them than what's in the water. So if you if you were to say that the fish was a bucket of water and then like you know a bag of water yeah compare and put that bag of water in a swimming pool right you'd say that there's more salts and stuff dissolved in that bag of water than compared to the amount of salts dissolved in the pool surrounding it I so guess it depends on what type of the pool is but <laughs> regardless, the salt water pool. Or well, regardless, if if what we're saying is that the bag contains more stuff dissolved in it than the yeah. pool in which it's in. Yeah. Okay. And so, so what does that mean then? Its problem is a freshwater fish is to get too much water pushed into it because of osmosis. That's right. Water wants to travel to an area where there's a high concentration of stuff dissolved in it. That's right. To balance it out. And so, freshwater fish have adapted or evolved a kidney-like structure to have a big glomerulus, so a big starting point of the nephron, mm. and just to force heaps of fluid out of it so it can just pee all the time. Because it just wants filtration to occur at all times. Yeah, it just has to get rid of all this free water. So it's constantly just urinating. And obviously you don't see it because it's in the water. Mm. Does it make sense? It does. So it will gain water to its environment. Okay. Whereas saltwater fish is a different type of um, kidney and it's more like us or the terrestrial animals. So it's more likely to lose water to its environment. But didn't you say our kidneys are more like a freshwater yeah. fish? And so um, it would seem counterintuitive Yeah. and therefore because we've got a, a, a filt- filtration kidney, that means we actually push out too much stuff so we've got to get it all back in. Ah, so that's so, why we filter 180 litres a yeah. day, but we don't pee out 180 litres a day right. like a fresh fish. Exactly. We reabsorb it like a saltwater fish. Yes. God, you're good, Matty. So what that means is once we move on to the land, um, we have to develop a better reabsorbing system. Yeah. Okay, so this takes us back to the nephron. And the big difference... Can we say Zach Nephron? Can we call it Zach Nephron? It's your podcast, mate. It's our podcast, Matthew. So, in the nephron, we've already spoken about the glomerulus, but there is a special loop that we'll talk about in another one called the loop of Henle. Now, the loop of Henle is what really does the reabsorbing or concentrating. And so, as animals move into areas more likely to be dehydrated, say like deserts, or even going back into the salt water, they need to make a longer loop, a longer loop. And this loop goes deeper into that pyramid or deeper into the medulla. Did you tell everyone that that loop is part of the nephron? I possibly missed that <laughs> detail. <laughs> that, the, that the nephron is just like a big-looking snake. The yep. capsule is like the head with its mouth covering the glomerulus, so the filtration portion. And then there's just this huge snaking-like structure, which are the tubules of the nephron. And if you have a very, one aspect of that is like Maddie said, is the loop of Henley or the nephron loop. And the longer that loop is, the more time you have to reabsorb stuff back into the body and actually yeah. creates more concentrated urine, but allows you to reabsorb more water back in your body so you can remain hydrated. That's right. And, right. So, and so when you compare, say, mammals, we have a spectrum. And some animals can just do two times, they can concentrate their urine two times more concentrated to their blood or some can go 25 times more concentrated in their blood and so when you have say the desert uh, I think it's called the kangaroo rat yeah which I think is in Australia it would make sense hence the name it can concentrate its urine 25 times more than what its blood is which means it's not really peeing out any fluid it just pees out crystals wow so that would hurt that would hurt. Yeah. That, yeah. 
All right. Okay. And so we're probably we're probably somewhere in the middle. Okay. So but we, we do have the capacity, and we'll do this in the Nephron podcast. But we have the capacity to really, really reabsorb it. Nice. Okay. All right. So what we're, where we're up to is that we said that the Afrin arterioles come in, turned into a glomerulus, ball of yarn, a capillary bed. It's encapsulated by the nephron. All this stuff's filtered out. Let's just say we've done that filtration. We've then, on the other end, have the Efrin arteriole. It's another arteriole, so we said no oxygen's really tr- exchanged, so it's still quite oxygenated, but we've just pushed a whole bunch of fluid out. Mm. That Efrin arteriole, then, as it comes out of the glomerulus, it actually starts to move its way back down in the opposite direction and wrap itself around the body of the nephron, right? Mm. And so this is what we call peritubular capillaries. To help the reabsorption, right? To help reabsorb that 99% of stuff. But is that also the site where we get oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange and so forth? I'd imagine so. Yeah, I'd imagine so. And so that then turns into... Now it goes venules. That's right. So it's telling us that gas exchange has occurred. So now we turn into the venules and they start to move their way in the opposite direction. And they have the same names, but they're just called veins and instead of, instead of the... Interlobular, all that, yep. arcuate, interlobar. And then we go back out, the renal vein. Now, uh, and that then goes back, not to the abdominal aorta in this case, but it goes back to the uh, inferior vena cava, which then goes back to the heart. All right, so what about the... We just said we've made all this filtrate. Yep. And the uh, 180 liters a day, yet we've reabsorbed 99% of it back yep. into the into that into those peritubular capillaries, which then went into the renal vein. So of that one percent that's been filtered, that mm. one point eight liters a day, mm. where's that go to now? So it continues through the nephron, yeah, and then once the end point of the nephron, so it kind of goes through the glomerulus, <laughs> through the proximal convoluted tubule, loop of Henle distal convoluted tubule to the collecting tubule. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, there's another name for this. Well, the collecting duct. Or the collecting tubule or collecting duct. Now, it can be called the urinephorous tubule. I don't like that name. You don't know it? Oh, I'll forget it. Okay. I'll just say collecting duct because that's where we start to collect urine. Once, once we've hit the end of the collecting duct, no more, we don't reclaim any more of this fluid or electrolytes or substances. Whatever's present in the tube at the end of the collecting duct is going to be P. Yep. And most of those pyramids, so when you look at the pyramids in the medulla, it has kind of a striated or stripe-like And that's because of what reason? That's all the collecting ducts. Okay, they're starting to move their way through those pyramids. Yep. And then do they... They're just dropping off little drops of urine. Drop, 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 drop. At the apical or apex of the pyramid. So the tip. The tip of it. Which which is facing towards the hilum. Yes, that's right. And it goes through a papillae. A which means um, nipple, doesn't it? Sure. Uh, which has got another kind of filtration aspect to it. Yeah. And then it drains through that into the minor calyx or minor calyx. And now calyx means cup. So a minor cal- calyx means small cup. Small cup. And three or four minor calyces dry- drain into one major calyx. And then there's probably three or four major calyxes in the kidney, which drain into a basin. And Latin in basin is pelvis, so it goes into the renal pelvis. So we got, so we got all this drip, drip, drip from the collecting ducts, dripping down to the point of the pyramids, and they drip into these small cups called a minor yep. calyx, which then collect at bigger cups so called a major calyx. One major, and then that goes down into one big collecting basin, which is called the renal pelvis. Yep. And so now we've got all this fluid, and then that fluid goes away from the renal pelvis. So then it comes out of the hilum as the ureter. And where does the ureter go? The ureter has a you know a course that goes down the abdom, back of the abdomen, and then kind of goes across the pelvic brim into the pelvis, and then drains into the bladder. And the bladder is our collecting area, our storage basin, our storage region. And then from the bladder... Where does it go to? It goes out. So we've got two ureters that drain into one bladder. Yep. And then at the base of the bladder, we go out um, into the urethra, depending on your if you're female or male, will depend on how long that urethra is. And then it would go out to the toilet. Hopefully. Or the tree. Or, or the back right tyre of your car. Yes, if you're a canine. 
That's right. Lifting your leg up. All right. Perfect. How good is that? Now, I just want to mention one last point, and then we're out of here. Out of here. Out of here. We don't want to talk about any more functional stuff? No, I think we'll do that next time. Okay. But since we spoke, we kind of did briefly, once we were in the nephron, talk about the regulation of water and electrolytes. We did. Um, That's to hold your osmolarity, so you don't become either too watery or too much like a prune. Mm -hmm. It's constantly regulating that. But going back to the ammonia, um, animals, all animals, all all vertebrates have the same problem. They need to get rid of the protein, dangerous part of the protein, which is that um, ammonia end. And they do that in three ways again. So there's some that just excrete ammonia as ammonia. That's right. There's some that create uric acid. What was uric acid? As in, what, what's the chemical structure for uric acid? Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. <laughs> That's, don't ask me that you're question. The, you're the biochemist. Yeah. And then there's urea, which is more us. Okay. Okay. Now, the animals that live mostly in fr- lots of water, they don't need to repackage it into urea or uric acid. They just freely excrete it into the water constantly. So, fish and certain other animals like eels or so forth. Because they're in an environment that can dilute it, right? That's right. So they can just keep excreting it out of their gills or their skin and so forth. But it also makes sense because you said that the way that their kidneys function is just a mass exodus of fluid. Yeah. But that would be still salt and fresh, would yeah. regardless. And then you kind of go into the some of the land animals. And so this would be, say, like reptiles or birds. They kind of do different things. They do um, uric acid. And so I think these animals, I can't tell you the difference in chemical structures between urea and uric acid. However, um, what I do know about, say, birds and reptiles, they do excrete it into a, a cloaca, which is a combination of bowel and urine. And so there is another degree of reabsorption at that lower bowel region or lower cloacal region. Yep. And they can actually um, retroperistalsis back up the colon a bit and reabsorb some electrolytes. But we probably know that, you know, with birds and so forth, I mean, I have chickens and you can smell that ammonia smell and that's in their poo, which you can also, in some bird poos, you can see that whitening colour. Yeah. So that would be presumably the uric acid aspect of it ah. which is quite uh, acidic as well and that's why if you see say lots of birds perching over waterways like they're up in the trees and they pool into the water that can cause certain um, blooms algae blooms because of all that ammonia and urea so don't drink the water that birds poo into <laughs> alright thank you for the advice and then you go to the mammals which is the urea so they it's like us they recreate the ammonia into urea, which you explained earlier. Yeah. Put it back into your blood, goes to your kidneys, you, you, you urinate it out. Okay. Now, interesting, some, some animals kind of move between it. So you do have some animals that can kind of, like amphibians, can do a bit of ammonia here, but then they can, once they um, go onto land, they can do another thing. Well, what I found really interesting is turtles. Yeah. They have kind of like kidneys in their head. What? <laughs> so when they are in the water, they're just excreting the ammonia, I think, out outside their orbital glands. Their eyes. Their eyes. They, and s- so they pee come, out their eyes. They come out their eyes. Yeah. Some, so, so some snakes come out of saliva, but I think uh, turtles come out of their eyes. Pee out their eyes. Pee out their eyes. So... Um, I think in Central America, when the uh, turtles would come on to lay eggs onto land, um, the indigenous population would see them crying. Wow. And they, would th- they thought that as they're leaving their, their eggs, they were crying and they're sad and so forth, but they were actually just... <laughs> needed to take a leak, <laughs> as we'd say in Australia. Yeah. So, yeah. that, that's just a, I just thought, an interesting comparison. Well, that is interesting. I think it's, we need to talk about the fact that um, uric acid, we, we do create uric acid, obviously. And if we create too much uric acid, that can accumulate in our joints. Mm. That's called gout. And that's from excessive protein, usually. O- often, like alcohol. 
often it's stated, you know, reduce the amount of protein intake and so The forth. King's disease. The King's disease because they were eating quite well, a lot of protein, a lot of proteinaceous foods, and a lot it's of a alcohol. Wine. A lot of tomatoes and so forth, part of it. Um, I think we should also talk about the fact that you can, you, you can measure urea in the blood and that tells you... Uh, gives you a good indication as to the function of the kidneys. Yeah, excretion. It's how well it's excreting. Yeah, that's right. So, so nitrogenous products, so nitrogenous waste products, which are just products of uh, protein and muscle metabolism, right? They need to be expelled from the body at a quite regular rate, mm. right? And this is often expelled as urea and also as creatinine. So urea is from protein catabolism, protein breakdown. So would Cre- that be called bun? That's called what's, which stands for blood, urea, nitrogen, mm. and so this is a measure of the amount of urea, uh, nitrogenous products, creatinine, and so forth within the blood, and we should know that it's at a particular rate, at a particular level, I should say, a particular concentration, because the kidney should filter it at the same rate all the time, regardless mm. of what's going on. So if your kidneys are stopped working, it telling you it's clogging clogging the system up. It accumulates in the blood. So you can measure blood serum of, you know, blood urea, nitrogen, and creatinine, and it tells you how well the kidneys are functioning. Does that make sense? Mm. Now, creatinine is the better measure because regardless of what's going on, creatinine should be consistent. Urea can actually change a little bit depending on how many proteins you eat, right? So that can change a lot. You just have protein bars all day. Well, look at the size of me, mate. I'm a monster. What do you expect? Anything else? So, do you want to talk about? So, next uh, next podcast, we're going to talk about blood pressure, blood pressure regulation, by which the is by the kidney. It's one of the major functions of the kidney. So, today we spoke mostly about the filtration aspects. Very minor. Well, yeah. I think we will do a complete podcast on the nephron. Good. As it moves from the start all the way to the end, that'll be every single little part of it. One of the next this podcasts. Is, this was just more of an overview. Okay. Easy. And looking at the gross anatomy. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Again, if you want to ask us questions, contact us or just see what we're doing. Follow us on Twitter at GU Biosciences. Also follow us on Instagram at GU Biosciences. Tell everyone about our podcast. If there's other people you know that like medicine, medical science, even nursing, pathophysiology, pharmacology, anatomy, physiology, blah, 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 blah. Please, we love doing this. Ask us questions. You can also contact us via email. GU Biosciences at gmail.com. Apart from that, thanks guys. See ya. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.